The whole building's going to start leaking. All right. We're good. We're rolling. All right. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast, episode uno, number one, the inaugural one. So this is presented by Atreyu Running Company, and I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. If y'all don't know Atreyu Running Company, go check those folks out. They're awesome. Make epic performance running shoes. And all the way out the way, honoring simplicity. But before we get kicked off here and I introduce my first guest and what this, you know, what we're going to be talking about today, let's talk about the podcast. And we won't do this every time, but this is important, I think, to set the tone with this podcast is even the heck about. The idea here is challenge a little bit of the status quo, kind of make you taste test a couple different perspectives, and really just have raw talk about business, entrepreneurship, leadership, things that are important as we're running teams, as we're running businesses, maybe as we're running our families, whatever those things might be. The idea here is not to come off polished. I've often heard through leadership talks, or whether it's a TED Talk or you're on YouTube or other podcasts, they seem kind of polished and you don't really get to see behind the curtain, just like some of the things that we see sometimes on social media just appears to be a little too more too pleasant to put together. And the reality of it is, is life's not that way. So the idea here is to kind of use a little Texas candor to kind of get down to the truth. Hopefully get a little bit of inspiration in there too, but to really just kind of set the tone as to how things are actually done. Maybe you can take some of these nuggets to, uh, to your own life and to what you're, to what you're running. So with that said, uh, I also will say that well, this is an evolution. As these episodes go along, I think we'll kind of get a better idea of what things y'all want to hear. And I'm excited about that journey. So let's get into what our first episode here is all about. First episode is Entrepreneurship's Not Cool. And our guest, first guest ever, Michael Kragic, founder of Atreyu Running Company, is here with me today. What's going on, Michael? I'm doing good, Joseph. It's good to be on this first episode of the podcast. I can't wait to see what you got up your up your sleeve on this one. Man, I'm going to enjoy the talk. Love that you're here, man. I think this is going to be an awesome talk, and I think no better way to kick this thing off uh, than with somebody who's going to really provide, I think, some real raw facts about entrepreneurship and what this is all about. So can you tell the folks a little bit about your background, uh, whether that's, you know, how, where you grew up, kind of how you started in life, and then, you know, I think give a little bit, I mean, this for those who don't know, five-second bio on Michael. I mean, everybody who interacts with him will quickly know this is kind of a renaissance guy. He does, you know, everything from or just ripping on the guitar as we were getting this podcast kicked off and just made a jingle out of nowhere that was epic, all the way to now, you know, running one of the most badass uh, running companies out there. So, Michael, could you just give a little background on who you are, where you grew up, and, and kind of what makes you tick? Sure thing. I'm from a little town in southwest Louisiana called Lake Charles. Um, Golly, where to begin? I mean, Lake Charles was, uh, it was a fun town to grow up in. Um, went to UT for about three semesters, decided that I wasn't cut out for such a big school, transferred into Berkeley College of Music uh, in the Boston Back Bay area, graduated with a music degree, went on to open a hot dog restaurant, then played lounge music, and now I have a uh, shoe company. It's all related in a weird way, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I see the fabric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it all makes plenty of sense if you really boil it down, right? Why music, man? I mean, was that something when you were growing up, you just always had a knack for mom, dad? Like, what happened there? Why, you know, why go? For, and were you studying music at UT? No, I wasn't kinda... studying music at UT. Uh I suppose I grew up with a piano at my house. Um, I remember in second or third grade, I got my first guitar. I was just I just like melodies. I was a melody person. If I heard a good melody, it just made me go ballistic. And uh, 
Growing up in the Kragic family, we had anything from, oh man, Jimmy Buffett to show tunes. And anything that had a great uh, story or a melody, I was always just enamored with. So naturally, I just got into it. I think I had a little bit of a gift for, for being able to, um, what they would call have an ear. Uh, I can pick out tunes. I can... I understand the context of the way music is created just very naturally. And uh, so learning the instruments were, was as equal as a pleasure of like learning them, but also at the same time, there was a lot of natural um, ability there. I could hear things and reproduce them at a very young age. First instrument picked up, what do you remember? Uh, piano. The yeah. one at the house. You were like, yeah. I'm going to go nail on this thing. Yeah, so um, yeah, I had my, si my older sister uh, was taking, you know, piano lessons and we had a little Clavinova, a little digital piano. And, um, I used to just go to it when I heard stuff to see if I could replicate it a little bit. And, uh, it turns out that I, you know, had a decent ear to replicate the music. And eventually, you know, you have to put some fundamentals in there because it's all just what I would call tiddlywinks until you really put the fundamentals in. So there's a lot that goes on after that, but it was, it was, yeah, very early age. I, I still am. I'm still secretly wanting to be a folk musician or uh, on stage and, and stuff like that. It's very much a part of who I am. Is that a natural thing? Like, is that something you feel like is a force in nature that causes that that magnetic pull to kind of come back to it? I even know that, you know, watching you and how you design these shoes and uh, you know, and how you've talked about the impetus for certain ideas and how you've kind of bring it always seems to stem from that artistic mindset what is the what's the magnetic pull where's that come from what pulls you back yeah so i don't know what it is about good songwriting um take bob dylan's girl from north country i don't know why that moves me but it moves me in a certain way when i see beautiful context or i see beautiful form or i see beautiful something it's mostly a process thing if I understand like music is the easiest way for me to tap in to find somebody's process. I like to kind of empathize with how they build things, how people build things, how is what state of mind were they in when they constructed it. And music is just readily available for me. It's the thing that pushes my buttons. So I hope that answers the question, but I mean, it's I don't have a choice with it. It's the only thing that I really don't have a choice with. It's if I, if I don't have it, I'm not happy. If I'm if I um, I can have the worst day of my life and I can pick up a guitar and I can be completely removed from it. I don't know why I can escape with it, but it is just a thing. I mean, composition, music, uh, it's hard to unpack. I, I, I've never really been asked that primarily point blank, but I do think that it's, it's just not a choice. I think, every, I think everybody has that thing that moves them. And uh, that's just that's just mine process in the form of you know rhythm harmony and melody no i dig it man i mean i've been around you a while now and i can tell that even in some of your deepest moments of trying to unpack how you get a a very businessy thing across the road it always seems to come you know i've seen you strum on that thing to kind of get you in the right mindset and whatever so i yeah no i'm glad that's a great answer i mean that wasn't looking for anything specific but that definitely kind of taps into kind of my next thought, which is, so with that level of just, it seems like a force in nature, something you're drawn to, music, uh, having an appreciation for the beauty that comes within it. Why the heck does a guy like that go into 
business then? I mean, mm-hmm. what about that led to that? Did it lead to that? Was mm-hmm. it out of necessity? What was the reason that Michael Cratchit goes, I love cranking on this piano, but now I'm going to go start a hot dog place mm-hmm. and then I'm going to go start a running shoe company. Right. Naturally, like anything, I think that there's uh, a super chain of events that kind of the first domino falls was my love for music. And then when I graduated, I had... Um, I had been pursuing a lot of jobs in music or opportunities and was in New Orleans in my early 20s. Um, I was playing music with a folk band and, and you know, when I didn't have a job. Didn't, like, I, it's hard to say. I was very unemployable, I would say. Mm. I, I don't, I never really had a job. I, my family wanted me to focus on studies and school and what's the, what's the ultimate goal. And um, I really lost uh, my ability in my 20s to build that kind of self-esteem. I, I kind of regret not having uh, good jobs in my teens, late teens and stuff like that. So anyway, I was, I was at a I was in New Orleans and uh, playing music with with a band and just trying to make it. I wanted to write the next best album. I wanted to do the next next best thing in music with this group and um, needed a job for income. Found the started pushing gelato and pulling espresso at uh, a restaurant called Sucre. Uh, really cool, really high end spot for pastries, gelato, coffee, stuff like that. And met these guys who were starting this hot dog restaurant. A few years before that, I had worked in Chicago at a recording studio and uh, with a band and went to this place called Hot Dugs and I fell in love with this this guy named Doug Son and uh, the, the way he did things. He did all these like kind of crazy hot dogs. So anyway, I was at that gelato place and serving the, uh, these two really interesting guys coffee and they said that they were opening up a hot dog place. So I kind of had a hand in helping open up this new restaurant in New Orleans. Uh, it was the... I think I was the first employee and got to hire a lot of people, started doing the ordering, started doing like really learning the restaurant industry from a very novel perspective, which was hot dogs. But we were doing it high class. We did. Oh, man. Yeah, you gotta, we you were gotta doing dive. all kinds what do you of mean crazy high class? stuff. People uh, go high class hot dogs. What the heck is that? Mean? Just real bratwurst, real kielbasa, real. I mean, just Slovenian sausage, like the real cool German, like authentic like made on premise with these we had a source okay cool yeah and uh and so it was really cool you have this thing called a hot dog but you could really dress it up we we were making this andouille sauce which was a reduction it was like a blonde reduction almost like a gumbo roux that we would put on top of it so we would do a lot of new orleans spins on the sausage and you had really kind of creative freedom to make this what was just a street food something really badass and uh so i learned a lot Sec, uh, just being the manager of that restaurant for like six or nine months or something like that. So lo and behold, time goes by and uh, years went by after that. That job kind of fizzled out and um, went to pursue more music, moved back to Lake Charles. And uh, after a few, like after, I, after New Orleans, I moved to Nashville. And after Nashville, moved to Lake Charles, back home again, kind of down on my luck. I can't make it in the music industry kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to move back home, lived with my mom, and uh, just kind of wanted to reset. And when I reset, that's when it occurred to me. I have a skill. I learned how to build something. I wanted, I wanted to do it my own way. 
I loved the idea of the hot dog being a novelty food. John Hartford is my favorite folk musician. He was a riverboat captain. He was a a musician, just a jack of all trades. And I kind of wanted to live that novelty life. And so, but I also really loved building brands. I think like music, I also love process. Brands are very much process to me. So um, I like observing how things are built. I like the context of why. So this new style of restaurant, the fast casual, where you could see the open kitchen and it was kind of like a show. I was out in the show. I got to design the, the front kitchen, got a loan from the bank, went and designed the, the line uh, the way that I wanted to. And it, to me, it was like being on stage again. It was like being a rock star at that hot dog restaurant. That's an interesting parallel. Mm-hmm. People would walk in. We had a line out the door. It was just cool. You build something that's really cool. It it's feels right. It's a fun product. And man... I just felt so awesome. It's it's hard to even say it. When people come to hear you play or when people come to see the show or they want to try your food or engage in this new interesting thing, then uh, golly, there's no better feeling than that. When you say, just backing up a couple sentences, when you said process, mm-hmm. are you meaning like what really gets you hooked on that is like the discipline of building something that then manifests itself into this like artistic, beautiful thing? Or are you talking something totally different when you say process? Because you said that a couple Mm -hmm. times. And so I'm curious, like, what does that mean? Because I think that would help even our listeners who are like thinking about this thing. And, oh man, Michael's just out here gunslinging hot dogs and stuff. That does sound cool. But you keep saying process, like there's something there. I think it's rooted in self-esteem first and foremost. Uh, I've often told you in our, you know, kind of conversations that I wasn't ever equipped with a very, like a super high baseline self-esteem. So I've often had to be resourceful on how I build my own from the self, from the inside out. And the way that I've learned to do that is by observing process. So I can, I can achieve my goals. I can set really stupid high goals like I'm going to create a restaurant and it's going to be it's going to be hot dogs but they're going to be $15 and we're going to serve pheasant and boar and bison and just crazy stuff and I'm going to make local rabbit with blueberry and thyme and rosemary and we're going to beer brat it with a beta amber like it was crazy make a red wine reduction with onions and put it on top it blew people's minds it blew people's minds there's no reason that anybody should just be able to do that unless they observe step by step, how, are, how have other people done it? What is the meaning behind why they did it? What were their perils? So I find that what typically holds a lot of people back that I would talk to that would, the thing that I don't like is how do you create something this cool? Well, you don't, you stand on the shoulders of giants. Like you find people that have done it right and you extract that and then you build the brand the way that you wanna build it. Brand is process for sure, but it's also personal identity. The, the, the real process of the fundamentals. It's the shit that you cannot disregard. There is a proper way. The first thing, like what I think the statistic in restaurants is like, everybody will say, oh, you can't start a restaurant, 99% fail. And that's super, super disencouraging. Like it's bullshit. And the, the real, I'd like to throw out another statistic. I'd like to take a sample set of all the restaurants that the first person they hired was a bookkeeper. You do that, 
then I, I, would, I would go as far as to say that 99% of those people succeed. succeed. So just change the sample set, observe the process, find out what works, crush the fundamentals, and then just light it up with brand, personal identity, take, you know, take risks, just be bold with it, but never disregard the process. This That's is what, super interesting. It's almost like the thing when you go to music school and they're like, you have to learn the craft before you break it. And I believe that very much. Because if you don't know how it's done, then you can't break the rules. So that's kind of the old school way of talking about it. But I think it's less sexy than that. It's more just like there are proper fundamentals. The money's got to be right. You know, you have to build a system. The line has to be perfect. The way that you refrigerate food. I remember standing in that damn restaurant for a week. My mom thought I was insane. It's like, she was like, get out of here. I was like, I can't. I have to visualize the flow. Every, people have to walk in between the tables. They have to be perfectly lined up. They just have to be. And if your line can't go out the door, you can't build a place with a line that goes out the door. So if your line's just running through the middle of the restaurant, that's going to screw up the experience for the customer sitting in the restaurant. So you literally have to visualize the end game and then process it out piece by piece. How many, so what you're saying is you have to, so I get that part there where you're looking and you're saying, hey, I, you, so you almost, Michael told himself, I want a daggone line out the door. Mm-hmm. In order for that to happen, the thing has got to, let me walk it through. What about the nuggets, like you were saying about bookkeeping, mm-hmm. right? What about those nuggets that come out? I mean, or did you already think that? Or there, how did you prepare yourself or put yourself in a state of mind or awareness where you could observe that, oh crap, man. They have a really good bookkeeper. Maybe that's why we're making money because we actually get expenses accounted for. Like, how do you put yourself in the moments to actually see? I can see where a guy says, I want to line out the door. But how do you put yourself in situations to see the nuggets that seemingly are not sexy, but are critical to success? Or at least having a chance at success? I suppose that there's like a... It's another one of the fundamentals, I would say but it's don't be the smartest person in the room. Okay. You learn from other people. In my case at that time, it was my brother, you know, my older brother and who you know very well, uh, a partner in a trade, uh, co-founder, and he's in the fintech industry. And when he says do something because it needs to be done, you do it. So mm-hmm. I wasn't smart. I didn't have, the, I mean, I, I, w- I don't want to say I wasn't smart, but I will say I didn't have the experience. I didn't have an experience prior to working with a bookkeeper in a restaurant setting. It's not, you don't learn it from just magically, you know, blasting out this experience that's like, hey, you do this because you do it, right? No, you do it because you learn it from other people. That's also a form of process. You have to put your ego aside. And you got to say, this isn't fun. I need to tackle the stuff that isn't so much fun first. And I hope it, it's not a fun answer, but it's like when somebody is telling you to get the money right and to do the spreadsheets and learn Excel, you do it. Or else if you don't do that, I think a lot of these, the, the failures kind of come when, when somebody just hopes that something bad doesn't happen with the money. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, what I've learned is that something always bad happens with the freaking money, <laughs> you know, but yeah. there's always a fix if you, if you have optics on it. So I'm, I'm super glad I, I, I had that 
ability to shove my big ego at the time under and just build the damn spreadsheet to ask for help. Asking for help is the hardest thing we'll ever do. And in that case, you just gotta, you just gotta snuff out your ego and, and just take advice from people that are really gifted at this stuff. Did you find early on you stumbled? Is that what, because the listening to your, here's what happens. Mm-hmm. I've seen it with entrepreneurs. They go out there, I'm gonna start this awesome thing. But I'm so revolutionary. I'm so far out there. I'm going to do something so epically different that if I try to reach, I mean, people are trying to help me right now who try to support me, but I can't listen to them. They're not even on my level. Uh, yeah, I know that someone is telling me to go hire a bookkeeper or someone has out there trying to you know, say, hey, you, know, you ought to really look at systematizing your marketing or at least tracking how many people came in today. Do you know which hot dog sold the most today or whatever the case? No, no, I don't need that. How do you, how did you come about calming yourself in a way to be ready to listen? I think that's the hardest part I've seen with a lot of entrepreneurs. They go out there and what makes them great is their stubbornness. What makes them suck is their stubbornness. Mm. How do you mm-hmm. break that? How do you break that? Like, I'm, I'm not saying you were a stubborn guy, but I got to imagine that you had in your earlier years that kind of, I got this. Yeah. I'm not sure that I need the help. Shit, man. The first, like, I actually wrote the business plan when I was still drinking. I negotiated the lease when I was still drinking. I had the vision of the restaurant when I was still drinking. I think in order to be like create an artisan hot dog parlor in the middle of a town that just probably doesn't want to pay 15 bucks for a hot dog, you have to kind of be drinking a little bit. And (laughs) that's cool if you do. It's in about that. But the thing is, the first thing I I learned was um, the first hard decision I made was to get sober. Like I wouldn't have lasted one week. Um, I went to an outpatient. Uh, and what I learned from uh, an outpatient group, it was a super, super badass group. I, I mean, if, if I could just go, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was so awesome. There were doctors and lawyers and just crazy smart people. It was like, it was a total, you don't have to be a skid row, you know, person to get sober, to take control of your life. And there's the first taboo. It's like, no, you can just take control of your life. If you have a problem, you can fix it. You got to get, you got to ask for help. And, and the thing is, I learned in that group, very, the first thing I learned was basically what you practice, you become, uh, shit, man. It's, it's like, you don't, they kept saying, you you don't go from a two to a 10. What you're talking about is somebody that's got a great idea that just wants to go to a 10. But you literally, you can't get sober unless you go to a 2 to a 2.5 and a 2.5 to a 3 and a 3 down back to a 2 up to a 3.5. It is, it is a shitty, weird road. And, and it hurts, man. But it, you all, it's, it's like, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful process. And it teaches you that these wild goals, these big visions, these grandiose visions, that these entrepreneurial visions or personal visions are just a series of tiny, not cool, little achievements. And you build those together and you have the DNA to something that can literally grow into something that's way bigger than each of the tiny achievements that add together. They all work in kind of this like, chorus together that's just it's just it's crazy it's it's nuts i mean you can you i've tackled some of the wildest stuff from what i've learned through sobriety and my outpatient group by just like dissecting if you think it's point a to b reconsider Mm -hmm. like there are 
an infinite amount of tiny steps that you can take. And in this case, what we're talking about is bookkeeping. We're actually talking about finances. So finances means go to the bank. If you have a good business plan, you can present it to somebody. Yeah, it's just there's a world to dissect in there. There's a world to dissect in what a good business plan is. People say you need some stuff. You don't need it. You don't need a lot of the stuff that people say that you need. You need what you, you have to be resourceful at that time. But don't just do it to say you did it. Like, if you need the money, get the money. Get a cosign. Get somebody who believes in you to go cosign the loan. Because I couldn't get a loan. I had to get a cosign. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you get that right. But then you don't want to let them down. So you have to start dissecting what that further means. It means that you, you should go get a bookkeeper. You got to find the right one. You got to trial and error a few things. You got to learn. You got to learn how to do Excel. And if you can do that, then you have the levers to pull to kind of become a person that can create something that's a little big a little bit bigger than just mere accounting. I love it, man. I think that's something that I've seen a lot of folks I think even try to get right and they find themselves kind of throwing their hands up because as you'd mentioned, none of those individual items as you move forward are very glamorous in itself. Mm-hmm. And you keep thinking that it should be. And that's actually that's an interesting point. Why do folks think it should be? Like where here's a thought that goes through my mind a ton, right? Like you get a guy or a gal who like grew up in construction. And when I think of the person running the site, I never thought their path there was awesome. I was like, they probably were like hauling tools and then they probably were then going up on scaffolding and then they were probably laying drywall. Every part of the way, they're just dirty and, and tired and working long hours. And then they eventually got to be where they're running the thing. Or you think about you know, my personal career in the military where you think about you're starting off as a tadpole and you're getting just, you're kind of scum of the earth and you're building up from the bottom and you're continuing to prove yourself and you're in the most miserable conditions. Then one day you get to see this person who's a general, but you never think, oh, it must be awesome because they got there right away so glamorously. When did entrepreneurs, like why do entrepreneurs think, why do you think entrepreneurs think that all of a sudden everything that I'm supposed to be doing is awesome, supposed to be awesome? Why don't they hold it in the same reverence, you think, to some of those jobs I just described? Okay. So I was really lucky to have that older brother. Yeah. He, 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 he kind of sat me down and he was like, believe me, this isn't the glamorous life that you're, you think it might be. He goes, it's going to be tough. You're going to be the only one that has to deal with, you know, your own problems and, you know, if, if you're the owner, it's he basically, he, he essentially said, it's lonely at the top, so get ready for it. And um, not at the top of the chain of being awesome, but top of answering to yourself. Because mm-hmm. you gotta, you got to go to bed with the decisions that you make each day. So I had that. Um, again, I'm a pretty good listener, and I observe process. So I kind of, I trust him. And I, I've seen what he's gone through, multiple businesses, um, Golly, with a, a, it's crazy. I've watched him uh, build three businesses now, uh, successful ones, and uh, I've seen how tough it is. So I knew it firsthand. Um, what made you continue to do it? Like seeing that kind of, for lack of better words, seeing at times that bludgeoning. What mm-hmm. what makes a guy like Michael or anybody who's going to be good at this thing or try to be good at this yeah. thing? Why do it still? Because you have to. 
because we grew up at the we grew up at the breakfast table, not talking about where we were going to go to college, not talking about we were talking about value, values, ethics, morals, beliefs. When you grow up in a culture or a family that talks about these things at the breakfast table, mm-hmm. you you can't go back. I mean, I I always knew that I'd have to write my own paychecks because I was taught that creating value was worth the pursuit. That's cool, man. And to so kind of no just option. Go, there was no option, and I think it's I think it's a lot of there's a lot of you know think uh, it's it's almost like it just it, it's it's not necessarily freudian but it kind of comes from childhood i mean i really believe that there's a certain type of person that is geared towards having to do this but there are a lot of people that just don't understand i don't want to i mean it's shit man it you meet so many people that have ideas it's not about having ideas it's about creating value it's about doing what you have to do because you know it's right that's entrepreneurialism to me you have to create something that you know is right not only to the world from a product standpoint but literally to ourselves i think that my favorite entrepreneurs are people that put themselves into what they're doing i dig it man you say so you in your mind, like as you're thinking about people who are out there starting businesses, I always go back to damn Instagram, man. Like mm-hmm. you think about people who are starting businesses and you almost feel as you're watching the unfolding, I'm not saying all of them are this way, but as you're watching the feed come through, you almost look at them as they're doing it for celebrity ship or they're doing it. You can just tell because I'm not even sure what the value of the business is. I just know I see their face on it all the time. And it just seems like it's a self-indulging process. And then you always wonder, I do anyways, how successful are they really? And what I hear you saying is, one, it wasn't an option. I had to do it. It's what we grew up doing. And two, it's not because you were looking at trying to figure out how how you sell something or how you create something so you can be at the top of the heap and just wear the varsity jacket that says I started this company. Mm -hmm. It's more like, no, 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 I'm I'm creating value. And value is an exchange of something that I developed that's probably inherently good for the world, hopefully. I give it to folks who hopefully need that thing and then they go on and use it. Mm -hmm. It leads me to believe then like, what are we doing wrong today, right? What are the things that we're not doing right about we need folks like Michael Krajicks starting awesome things and doing it for the right reasons. But what do you tell for those folks? Like it, it's, it's such, I mean, it, me and you talk about this quite a bit, right? You scroll through Instagram, it's really easy to think that everybody's an entrepreneur, everybody is a CEO of something. And you can't help but wonder, like, I don't, sometimes I don't even know what the heck they're actually building or what they're doing good for the world. What do you say? Like, how do you? How do you sniff that out? Do you even need to? Does it even matter? It's one of those things that just, what are the things that I think, in my mind, it's kind of perverting the way that you talk about value creation. It kind of perverts the way that the world kind of sees entrepreneurship as this thing that's almost sexy as opposed to something that's actually a little more on the selfless side. It's more of a service, right? You kind of take on that Mm -hmm. burden to provide something. So what's your thoughts on like, when you're looking and scrolling through these feeds that you get, 
Yeah. Does it make you mad? I don't know. It makes me kind of mad as I'm looking through this stuff. It, it does. Um, I guess I'll just, uh, I'm just going to try and speak as freely as possible, Do it. but it does make me mad. It, but also not mad. Like when I see somebody who's lashing out, like I heard this, just this complete dickweed in the, in the sauna the other day, just lash out at this woman for like talking on her phone. I generally gravitate towards that's he's not doing that because he because he chooses to. He's doing that because he's in pain and he's in hurt. He's hurt or something. Something like else. That. Something it. else is provoking it. Mm-hmm. So when I see these things, I'm not angry because at them. I'm angry that the world is such an instant gratification style world. I'm angry that that we we don't. Uh, I'm angry that people just blanketly say like corporations are bad and this is this and that is that and this is this super general ideas that just to me they don't mean anything like i try and boil everything down to the essence of what it is so when i see businesses that are ideas that are what i would consider um i hope i don't get in trouble for this but it's just like i kind of i call like Seems like it's more of graphic design than it actually is anything else. A little bit of vaporware, maybe? Yeah, or, yeah and there's right. great graphic design. There's great industrial design. There's great product design. But I think when you reduce the quality of it to just Instagram on a little one-by-one-inch dot on your phone and something like that, I mean, you really you really reduce the impact that you can have. Um, and I say that because I'm I'm mostly angry again, that the culture is promoting that anybody can do it so long as it looks good on Instagram, because that's not the fact. That's, that shouldn't be the standard. And I believe that people should be taught what I was taught um, from people like my brother, from people like you, that it's about the fundamentals. It's not about what it looks like. It's about what it is. Like, what is the DNA? And I think that people mostly fail to get their point across because they're just not, they don't have those mentors and they don't have the real, it's mentors. It's, a lot of it is learning. It's, it, it's education on, you don't just, you're not born an entrepreneur. You, 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 you understand people that have done it. To me, it's about the pain that people have gone through and triumphed over. It's not about the end of what they've created. So you're saying, I mean, what would you say to somebody who's sitting there right now listening, saying, damn gun, man. So my role models around me, I got like, my mom works at the state. Mm-hmm. My dad has, you know, been with a company for a long time, worked in construction. And maybe my older brother decided to go become a cop. Mm-hmm. But I really want to start a business because what I just saw on Instagram seems like something I can do. Mm-hmm. Maybe, they, but they actually got the right stuff. But they're like, I don't know who the heck to turn to, man. Mm-hmm. Like none of the people in my circle or anybody like Michael just mentioned. One, can they do it? And two, what's the real hard truth about them? If they're going to make that decision, what's the things they need to be thinking about? I'd say that you turn off your thoughts first. And you start to really listen to um, this idea that and this is another thing I learned in my outpatient group, which is if you do the thing you don't want to do, then most of the time 
the symptom of that is success. It's bizarre. So I spent the first year or two, maybe two whole years of my sobriety, just if I thought of something that I didn't want to do, I would go out and do it. I don't want to do the bookkeeping. I don't want to go find this. I don't want to find a mentor, but you do it. I don't want to post an ad on Instagram that says, I have an idea, but I need help. I'd love to meet somebody that's gone through the gauntlet because I need help right now. Most people are not willing to kind of drop the ego and to proceed in that fashion. I've learned to do that. But again, not in a grand, I don't, you don't just come out saying like, you know, I'm going to create the next Apple. So who can help me out? I need help. You literally, you have to go, you have to really humble the idea in itself and start from the very bottom level. Starts as simple as if you don't know somebody, then you can ask somebody if they know somebody. And maybe your goal is just to ask one person a day or two people a day. And you do that every day. Do you know anybody who started a restaurant, a bar, a bookstore, a rolling skating rink, whatever there is? Talk to that person and submit to that. So turn your thoughts off and turn the action on. What you practice, you become. You literally just do the thing that is a little bit more uncomfortable than playing it safe. Playing it safe is telling people you know what you're doing, that you've created something when you haven't. It presenting ideas when they're just ideas. Things need to have a foundation. And if you want to get something done, you just boil it back, man. That's what, I'm trying to think of the example that I often give uh, some friends. Um, it's like running. It's like endurance. If you want to run a marathon, you don't just go out tomorrow and run a marathon. You've literally, you, I would recommend you do some research on Google. You go out and buy a heart rate monitor. You check out some things. You start slower. You, maybe you start at a walk and you walk every day for 20 minutes. And then the next week you do every day for 20 minutes, but one day a week you run for three. And then you just put three, you know, three minutes. So three minutes a day, you're just running. And then you build up. It sounds a little bit mundane, but if you want to run a marathon and you have no fitness and your body cannot, you know, you know, your muscles can't even take in oxygen, then you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. So boil it down, humble yourself. And if you don't know anybody, start asking people. It's a really good opportunity. Everything is an opportunity. I dig it. So you, I mean, what I'm pulling out of that is I think that's where people get it wrong. They're like, well, yeah, yeah, Michael, that's great. I appreciate the advice. But I, I just got to, I got to make sure everything's perfect first before I go ask that question, mm -hmm. right? What I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying, screw that. Throw the thoughts, check them at the door. You know, everybody kind of inherently knows what they got to do next. They just do. But most folks aren't going to do that. It's that person who says, I want to run a marathon. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm going to do the 20-minute walk, but I got to buy some good shoes first, which, mm -hmm. by the way, I know a cool place to go buy some. Yeah. But, like, you know, but I got to go buy some cool shoes first, and, you know, I, um, I got Thanksgiving next week, so maybe I'll just do it after that. Your thought is just screw that, man. Mm -hmm. Just go walk now mm -hmm. in your flip-flops. I don't really give a hoot. Yeah. So we used to do this thing and it was really, it actually became kind of comical. At first it was annoying. I'd say, you know, to the director of the outpatient group, I'd be like, well, sir, you know, 
I'm trying to not freak out every time this happens. Like you can imagine, like <laughs> I think I think a week in, we we were on like the it was it was like a national record of like same thing like, like the the coast guard put me on some national record because i like dumped a can of paint down the uh like, like the, like watch <laughs> yeah yeah i got on like a watch list because i contaminated the water or something so i went into my group i was painting a sign you know i didn't have any money to go get a friggin' sign so i was painting one and you know i was like shit i'll just dump it right here in front of the restaurant anyway the coast guard came in and they wrote me up and i was on like some national record on a watch list so um the, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. Wait, 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 you were so you're like, oh, I got some excess paint. I'm gonna dump it in the sewer real quick. Yeah, and all I of a sudden, think, send up the bat signal. I'm a week sober, two weeks sober, and my mind is firing. You know, so I'm just kind of like, ah, <laughs> oh, just shit. I gotta throw this away somewhere. I just dumped it in the on the middle of the street and washed it out with a hose, and I got a ticket for it. But um, <laughs> but the, I went to my group that night. So I went to my group Tuesdays or Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays for three hours a night. For three years, just a shit ton of, and, and the other days I was going to AA. So it's how much time, if you don't want to do something, don't want to do that <laughs> and then do it. Like it's awesome. So, uh, but I went to, I remember the group that night and I brought it up. I was like, I'm trying to not lose my shit right now, but now I'm on some like terrorist watch list. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. terrorism. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, for sure. And, and, uh, and, <laughs> And he, he looks at me and he goes, um, hey, man, um, will you get up out of that chair? And I go, okay. So I got up out of the chair. And he goes, no, sit back down, sit back down. And he goes, try getting up out of the chair. I got up and I like, stop screwing with me. He did this about 10 times. Then he said, you know, why don't you actually just, basically he was saying like, if you tr- if you say you're gonna try and do something, you you're not doing it. I mean, it was it was uh, when you say you're. How am I gonna put this? Because I want it to land pretty hard. Um, the idea behind it is every time we verbalize or we act as if we're going to try to do something, we're literally just trying to do it. He goes, actually, I'll change it up. So he goes, he goes, no, sit down, but just try to do it. Like, it doesn't mean actually get up out of the chair. It means stay sit down and think about doing it. Like, well, like, you know what I mean? So it was like, but I heard this repeatedly every night, all the time. Anybody, anytime somebody said, try, try, I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to try and stay sober this time. I'm going to try and go tell my I'll go try and tell my wife that we got to take all the alcohol out of the house, even though she still casually drinks a glass of wine a night. And he goes, okay, see where that gets you. Why don't you actually do it and quit trying? And so I think it's fundamentally like it was ingrained again, like just pure force of it, like just beat into me these ideas these like really foundational ideas you don't try and do something you just do it so when you want to run a marathon get your ass up and go jog around the block i would encourage you to start doing some research on what the heart rate is actually telling you when you're jogging and maybe you stash away some cash go get that heart rate monitor but don't try and run a marathon fuck that shit just do it do the marathon, commit to it, fully commit. I think I find that to be one of the things in um, not only in sobriety, but just like with general ideas is there has to be a full 
commitment in the very beginning. You go out guns blazing. You commit to doing everything you can do. You don't ever try. Those who try will fail eventually. When you commit to doing it, you fail all the time, but you always get back from a two and a half to a three. You fail back to a one, and then you do back to a four. And all of a sudden, you're at like a seven or an eight, and you're sitting pretty high, and the resources get bigger. Your knowledge, your tank, your wisdom gets bigger. And then, all of a sudden, you can then visualize what it would take to get to a nine or a 10. Maybe even 10 was too low. In my case, it's always too low. My self-esteem is inherently low. A 10 is like most people's three. So I continually shoot for a 20. And I land on a 15 and I get shit done. But I do the fundamentals. I always have to shoot for dreams, goals, wild, crazy beliefs that, I mean, it's like that thing where you like go out and say it, like public accountability. Just tell the public, do it. Don't say you're going to talk about doing something or try to do something. Tell a shit ton of people. Take, take that and put it on like a little line chart and build out every small victory that you can until you get halfway there, three quarters of the way there. And then reevaluate your goals every six weeks and then you'll be fine. It's awesome. It's awesome piece of advice. I think this is where folks, you know, the sad part about this, Michael, is that even with that, folks are going to go try. They're going to go try. And then you guys say, no, no, oh, I remember I Michael said, I'm going to go do. Okay, let me go do it. And they're going to go yeah. fail. And they're going to see that as it didn't work. Yeah. That's, that's the, the crap of it all. That man. is entrepreneurialism. Though. That is. That's 100%. the whole thing. That's exactly what it is. So let it be known. <laughs> that's what the thing is. You have to crave it. I had a little sign on my wall when I was young. My dad put it on there. He said, mistakes are the building blocks of wisdom. And I said, well, sounds like I'm in good shape. It's a rewiring, man. Yeah. I think that's where I watched my mom. That's where I got my entrepreneur bug growing up, watching her do that. Same thing. I used to watch and wonder, like, who would do that? Who would just get punched in the face continuously? It's not fun. But there's a weird situation. It's almost like a like a grin that occurs in these, you know, if you have what it takes and if you are kind of, as you mentioned, it's not an option and you're not like maniacally or you're just some sadistic person, just like, I love pain. It's not that kind of thing. It's, I don't even know what my life, I, I just can't fuel myself any other way. Like this is, like I'm built that way. I have to go do this thing and failure is part of it. And that's the part that I think leadership talks and stuff, they, they always say, Failure is part of the process. It's just whatever. And I think it just goes in one ear right out the other. And I just want like, people to hear what Michael just said. Like, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. Like, if you're not getting punched in the face, if failure's like, people say, oh, failure is just part of the process. As if failure will stop at some point. No, it only gets bigger. The if you're failures not getting, get bigger. <laughs> yeah, they get bigger. They get more troublesome. But the esteem of the idea also grows. Grows. Because you, you nourish the esteem and you can you have a wider playing field but that means once you get to a 6 or a 7 those are huge failures those are they become very meaningful i mean i've had a few recent ones that are just like they'll take the breath out of you and the most important thing is just to commit fully and public accountability it's success is determined in the very beginning it's not some it's not a wait and see. It's in my opinion, it's not about the outcome. Success is about persevering through the failures. 
I mean, that's just, that's, that's where the good stuff comes from. That's who we learn, who we are. That's who our businesses, that's when our businesses become what they become is by pivoting, by, you know, jeez, uh, I mean, there have been, oh man, the milestones are the failures. That's all I'll say about that. It's not the good stuff. The milestones are the failures. And what you do with that determines the outcome. I dig it, man. That's a, uh, for those of you that maybe that didn't sink in, uh, and I know we've talked about this, those milestones, you talk about, oh yeah, we just got a new launch of a ratio and it's easy to say that was a really great epic milestone. That's not the stuff that builds the mitochondria, like any of that stuff mm -hmm. in the business brain. Mm -hmm. It's the stuff that you just got a full blown lashing for, right? Because something got unplugged, went mm -hmm. unraveled, an employee hire went berserk, right? You know, whatever those things are, or you didn't realize that you were building something that maybe was, you know, not going to actually work in the market. And you spent mm -hmm. a ton of money on it to include your life savings. Those things, if you aren't doing it, and then failing at it and immediately getting back up and saying, okay, what did I learn from that? That is a huge milestone. I'm going to learn not to do that again. And to your point, I'm going to go back now to zero, come back, but I'm going to hit instead of three, as you mentioned, I'm going to go, I'm, it's probably going to be four, four and a half this time. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm going to fail something else at that point. It's almost like if you know, if you're not failing, you're probably doing it wrong, right? Like there's some kind of situation. It just means there. that, yeah, most of the time it almost indicates that you're just playing it too safe. And not safe from, from like a market standpoint or whatever. It's safe from, I would always equate that to doing the thing that you want to do, which is the thing that's comfortable. Simple doesn't mean easy. Simple means work. Work equals output. Simple is the way to go. In my opinion, that's my style of entrepreneurialism. I like simple ideas, but I don't like them to be easy. I like uncovering where the work needs to be done. And... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy, man. It's, it's crazy. Um, I dig it, brother. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a journey, but it's, it's a peril. It's like, it's, like a, it's like the Lord of the Rings. You got to feel like, if you feel a little bit like Frodo Baggins, then things are probably working out. You're right? probably doing yeah. the right stuff. <laughs> so what would you say, man? This has been awesome. Um, for anybody out there, maybe some last parting words or thoughts there. Mm -hmm. What would you tell somebody who's sitting there right now listening to this saying, okay, Basically, I just got to keep going. I got to just do, not try. I got all that. I also know that maybe I got this idea that can be something, or maybe I don't have a clue, but I do know that I'd rather live that lifestyle than, you know, or I call it lifestyle, like that's not a, that's not a term that I mean endearing at all. I really mean like, this is like your, this is like your badge that you wear if you for don't the rest do of your it, life. If you don't do it, it's... It, I know what you're talking about. You're it's like gonna, you're gonna be, yeah, you're going to be spiritually indebted. Indebted. Like there's a feeling of emptiness. It's probably like the equivalent of someone like being with somebody else and just like they ain't doing it. The relationship mm -hmm. sucks. Because there's some folks, I will like, take a quick cap before I let you kind of end with some final thoughts here. I do think that that's why some people should not do this. Some people are built, in my opinion, to go just be the straight and narrow you know, whatever job is out there, whether it's government, whether it's working for somebody who started, like those people are just as important. It's when you do get this kind of mistress of a thought that I'm going to do that because it feels that's what I should be doing. 
but I don't really know why. And to your point, mm-hmm. you just know it when you're built that way. When you're built that way, it is like oxygen to you, right? But the only way that you keep doing that, you can build that uh, that muscle memory. And so that was an aside, but what do you have, man, for anybody out there listening that says, that's me? Mm-hmm. To sum it up, I would say it's pretty easy the, um, to identify it. If you have something that you've recurred in thought maybe three times a year and it really means something to you and it's scary, you can probably learn to get that thing done. But you got to get brutally honest with yourself on if you're going to commit to it. Because if you don't commit to it, I'm talking about with the hot dog restaurant, it was a pool. There were, I had to do something. That was my skill. And I said, I, I, over and over and over, I said, I can't do that. I can't start my own restaurant. I can't go get a loan. But I can't, I can't, I can't was the thing that kept coming back. And if I got brutally honest with myself, I got one life, man. I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw this up. I'll go out willing to fail for sure, for sure. But I'm going to commit to it fully. Um, I had this statement that, I mean, the last thing that would have happened before the hot dog restaurant ever went out of business. And by the way, it's still in business today. I sold it for a profit. It's an awesome spot. And uh, the, the thing that I said was, I'm not just going to fizzle out. I'm going to go down the street with a branded flag and a Speedo with the name on the ass yelling, I'm not going out without a fight. And I literally, I got on the cover of a, like a local magazine yeah, like that, in that with like mustard <laughs> all over the place. So if you have that, you got to look, you got to be brutally honest and identify that personal inherent need. If you're this type of entrepreneur, there's plenty of uh, like, maybe there's, there's a, um, that's a fun one. I'd love to, maybe one day I can, I can suggest the different kinds of entrepreneur style podcast in there. We'll get that um, on the list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what type are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I know what you mean. So there's, um, but if, if, if you're anything like me and you have these ideas, the first thing you got to do is fully commit to it. And, uh, I'd say that that just takes good old fashioned, brutal honesty and, do the thing that is probably takes the most work and take it step by step. It's, it's funny because I'd love to wrap that up with a nice little bow that tells people how to do it. But really, if you can just get in tune with this, almost create this world that if you don't do it, the biggest failure will be to yourself. Then that's proper fuel to burn if you really want to get it done. So find the thing that means something the most to you. If you're anything like me. Keep pushing. Yeah. And meaning like when you say that fuel's burning, you know, that keeps you going. It's the times where you're just chomping on a raw piece of noodles that aren't cooked and mm-hmm. all the stuff that everybody thinks that you're going to get. But as soon as you start this multi-billion dollar industry and you're saying, no, nah, man, or <laughs> not, nah, lady, go find that thing. Yeah. I uh, Burn rich on it. Yeah. I mean, with a tray, you... I knew we were in the wrap up, but like with a tray, you, I was sitting on the couch with a friend at the time and, uh, man, I was, I was in love with endurance sports. I had just done my first Ironman. I was training for, um, my first marathon and I said, shoes are confusing. I bet I could 
I've always loved shoes. The first pair of shoes I bought was early in sobriety and I loved shopping for them and just fell in love with the construction of them. And I thought to myself, God, it'd be the coolest job in the world. Wish I would have learned it along the way. Wish I would have gone to industrial design school. Wish I would have done all this stuff a couple months later. Damn, I love these things. They wear out. How much do they cost? Ah, don't, don't even bother with that. Don't bother with that bullshit. And then one day it came back again. And I was like, I'm doing it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I can't do it sitting from this couch in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Probably going to have to uproot myself and put myself into the mix. And I looked at my friend and I said, I'm going to take down this industry with some real, authentic, crazy, personalized, just value. Just pure value for the love of running and for the love of sport. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I went on Instagram, I posted a little picture, and I said, I'm going to build my own pair of shoes for the Houston Marathon, which was in two months. That was my first failure. I did not build shoes. They did not hold up, and they didn't work at all. They had cork soles. And Wait, you didn't, that shoe didn't make it That was Houston? my first failure. I told everybody that I was going to do it, and I failed. I didn't make it to the Houston Oh, well, Marathon. hold on. That's a level of commitment right there. Yeah. You, you got it. So you said something. I wonder if people caught on to that. You almost have to publicly let people know. Yeah. Because that's how it's going to fail the best. Yeah. Is when you got like, everybody, I'm doing this. for the biggest failure that you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And almost like that's that's really, I mean, a little bit of peacocking almost. Like if you really want to splash hard with marketing, just do that. Just wear it on your sleeve. Hey, guys, guess what? I'm running the Houston Marathon in a few weeks. I'm going to build my own shoes and do it just as a sample, a little Petri dish. And I failed at that. But what I didn't fail at was learning a few things from that, taking one step back, moving on to saying, shit, man, this supply chain model in the shoe business seems a little bit ambiguous. I'm going to go check it out. And then all of a sudden you learn what an FOB pricing is. And then you reverse engineer kind of the business model, do some spreadsheets, and you just keep going. You just keep stacking. And then you realize that you can't do it from Lake Charles. You got to move to Austin, get a job at a run store, talk to consumers, do all the things. You know, that's, it's crazy. I mean, the no, no, first... we got a couple more minutes. Yeah, talk about that. No, I think it's important. This is like... Out the gate, first thing was failure. Yes. Yeah. And it's failure not only in not developing the shoe, but being kind of an ass in front of everybody you just told. Right. Right? Like that level of commitment, I'm running this thing with these shoes that I'm making. Part of you probably were, and you had a pit in your stomach, like, I better do this thing. Yeah. I was almost like an idiot. You know, what's interesting is everybody just thought it was cool. They thought, oh, Mike's a goofy dude. Yeah. Like, look at him doing this new weird thing. The hot dog guy's building some shoes now. That's pretty cool. Hey, man, yada, yada, yada. It's like, wow, that really wasn't as bad of a failure as I thought. Maybe failures can, can lead to good. And they thought it was an interesting project. Meanwhile, I was casting my foot, you know, with plaster and shit like that and making what I thought was a last and building patterns over that and using it in inches instead of millimeters. It's just crazy. Like the, the weirdest stuff you've ever seen. I post pictures of those original shoes now and people make fun of them. Man, this isn't how you design a shoe. How do you have a shoe company like that by literally just showing? Like people want to see that. And I think that's where like Instagram shines 
and where it's also one of the worst things in the world is like people manufacture that kind of stuff. No, just do it. Just be authentic about it. Get brutally honest about what you're going to put out there and public, good old fashioned public accountability is probably the best case scenario because if you look like an ass, it means there's a lot on the line and might as well do it because that's good fuel. You want to burn the good stuff. Like you want to find fuel. You're going to need fuel to bust out of the stratosphere. So you might as well go find failure fuel all the time. You know, how can I fail the biggest, but also like, what are the symptoms of that? It's never about, the paradox is it's never about failure. It's always about wisdom. And if you build the wisdom, then you own the wisdom. It becomes an equity. If you have a company that becomes equity in the company, what you know, you own it. You have that shit to use. That's, that's basically my take on it. It has nothing to do with being smart. It has nothing to do, it, it has everything to do with being resourceful, honoring process, honoring simplicity, honoring yourself, honoring, you know, the basic necessities of the building blocks, the fundamentals. Well, on that note, Michael, I hope everybody here kind of got something out of here. Maybe was a little bit offended in the right ways. Um, man, thanks for being on the show. You got it, Joseph. I it's think, a pleasure. Uh, I think people took a lot from this. So for those of y'all listening, you can catch us on all the platforms and whatnot. Stick around for future episodes or keep in touch with future episodes we got coming out. we got more awesome people like Michael Kragic here to share some really true, raw stuff about what it's like to do stuff in this world. Michael, thanks, brother. You got it. Y'all have a good day and thanks for listening.